Okay, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Solana Valley. I'm grateful to see all of you. Why don't we come on in, grab a seat, and let's worship the Lord together. Hosanna is just a simple declaration of praise and adoration to God. Here we go. Let's sing. Praise is rising. Eyes are turning to you. We turn to you. Yes, we do, God. Hope is stirring. Hearts are yearning for you. We yearn for you. When we see you, we find strength to face the day. In your presence, all our fears are washed away. Washed away, Hosanna, Hosanna, you are the God who saves us, worthy of all praises. Hosanna, Hosanna, come have your way among us. Welcome you here, Lord Jesus. Hear the sounds of hearts returning to Turn to you in your kingdom, broken lives are made new. You make us new when we see you, we find strength to face the day. In your presence, all our fears are washed away, washed away. Hosanna, Hosanna, you are the God who saves us, worthy of all our praises. When we see you, when we see you, we find strength to face the day. In your presence, all our fears are washed away. When we see you, we find strength to face the day. Oh, yes, we do. In your presence, all our fears are washed away, washed away. Hosanna, Hosanna, you are the God who saves us, worthy of all our praises. Hosanna. 
have your way among us. Welcome you here, Lord Jesus. Hosanna, Hosanna. You are the God who saves us, worthy of all our praises. Hosanna. about asking God to build his kingdom here. Do only what he can do. Lord, use us to build your kingdom right here in Solano County in Fairfield. All right, here we go. Come set your rule and reign in our hearts again. Increase in us, we pray. Unveil why we're made. Come set our hearts ablaze with hope, like wildfire in our very soul. Holy Spirit, come invade us now. We are, we are your church. We breed your power in us. And we seek, we seek your kingdom first. We hunger and we thirst, refuse to waste our lives, for you're our joy and prize. To see the captive hearts release, the hurt, the sick, the poor at peace, we lay down our life for heaven's cause. We are your church. That's right. We Oh, build your kingdom here. Let the darkness fear. Show your mighty hand. Heal our streets. Land. Set your church on fire. When this nation back. Change the atmosphere, build your kingdom here, we pray. Unleash your kingdom's power, reaching the near and far. No force of hell can stop your beauty changing hearts. You made us so much more than this. Awake the kingdom seed in us. Fill us with the strength and love of Christ. We 
fire turns, we may revive this earth. Lord, we pray for revival. We pray you build your kingdom. Build your kingdom here. Let the darkness fear. Show your mighty hand. Heal our streets and land. Set your church on fire. Win this nation back. Change the atmosphere. Build your kingdom here. We pray. One more time. Build your kingdom. Build your kingdom here. Let the darkness fear. Show your mighty hand. Heal our streets and land. Set your church on fire. Win this nation back. Change the atmosphere. Build your kingdom here. Amen. Well, I tell you what, if that song plus coffee doesn't make you want to follow Jesus, I don't know. I don't know what will. Oh, I love that song. Love it. And uh, after this next song, Gary's going to come up and we're going to, he's going to lead us in a time of revival prayer. And uh, I think that that is something that, uh, you know, we, we, we have a revival prayer gathering, uh, you know, once a, night, once a month on a Sunday night, and we do it a couple times during our services on Sunday mornings. But it's really something that uh, I just want to encourage you and myself to just keep praying for every day. You know, um, when we choose to humble ourselves, when we choose to say, God, I want to do life on your terms. I want to, I want to uh, follow the narrow path and follow you. Um, and just be completely humble and surrendered, boy, what could God do, right? What could God do? And so <clears throat> I just want to shift our hearts just for a moment now to the theme of gratitude. And as we sing through this song together, I want to just kind of invite you to make sort of a mental gratitude list a mental list of reasons that you're thankful. Could be a, an attribute of the Lord you're grateful for. Maybe His mercy, maybe His power, maybe His grace, His patience, whatever that may be. Maybe it could be your family, your job, your home. just going to play for a little bit and let's just take a moment just maybe between you and the Lord maybe you could just say a a prayer of gratitude in your heart right now come up with a list of reasons to give praise to him
There's a reason I can sing. There's a reason for this life inside me. One name above all names, Jesus. Yes, it's Jesus. There's a reason for this hope. There's a reason for this peace that I know. Of all praise, Jesus. Yes, it's Jesus. And Lord, with gratitude, we sing to you right now. I will lift my hands up, I will raise my voice up, I will shout of your love till the day that I die. Everything that I have. My worship I bring You're the reason I live You're the reason I sing Yes, you're the reason I live You're the reason I sing For the victory over sin, for the goodness of your grace each day, I will bow and bless your name, Jesus, I thank you, Jesus, I will lift my hands up. I will raise my voice high. I will shout of your love till the day that I die. And everything that I have, all my worship I bring. You're the reason I live. Yes, you're the reason I sing. Oh, you're the reason I live. I sing hallelujah now.
Fantastic. Thank you, Matt. Thank you so much, Elsa, for leading us today. Hey, it's good to see you guys. Uh, really, really glad you're with us. If you're joining us from Facebook or YouTube, we're really glad you're tuning in today. And uh, yeah, just it's really good to see you guys. Really, really good to see you. So one of the things, you know, what we are about as a church is we're about following Jesus. And what following Jesus means, it just means giving him first place in all things. That following Jesus, what it is, and we talked about this for several weeks when we were going through our series on the fruit of the Spirit, but it's all about walking by the Spirit and then living out the fruit of the Spirit that looks like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And it's not like these things are just instantaneously fully, full, I don't know, uh, bloom in our lives uh, in an in instantaneous moment, but it's something that's produced in our lives as we're consistently walking by the Spirit and following Jesus. And our mission as a church and why we exist, why we are here, our purpose is inviting people to follow Jesus with us. I really believe that's why each one of us is left on this planet. I, I really believe that every single follower of Jesus, Jesus says this, follow me and I'll make you to be fishers of men. And I believe that as we're following Jesus, I, I really believe that each one of us, is we're, we're on a life mission. And each one of us, we are missionaries. Whether we realize it or not, we really are. That in, on the street that we live on, in the neighborhood that we live on, with the people who fill the spaces of our lives, a lot of people, the closest thing they'll ever see to Jesus is how we're living around them and how we're engaging them. Now, this doesn't mean you have to stand up and beat your Bible and preach. I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about living the kind of life that people look at and they say, you know what, I think there's a difference in his or her life. They're not perfect, but there's a difference, and I think it might be because of how they follow Jesus. I think it might be, even though I may not believe in Jesus. And so our mission as individuals is to follow Jesus and invite others to follow Jesus with us. And for us as a church, our, our strategy is very simple. It's to worship, grow, serve, and reach. And what we mean by that is we really want to worship God uh, in, in all that we do. Not just by attending a service on Sunday mornings and lip-syncing the music with Matt and Elsa, but really we want to come together for corporate worship, and we really want to worship God. But we really want to worship God every day of the week. And we want to worship God in everything that we do, that we want to grow we want to grow. We want to grow in Christ day by day. That each day we want to become a little bit more like Jesus if we're following Him. That we want to, that we want to serve others over self. 
uh, and not just serve ourselves, but serve others over self, and that we want to reach the people around us living like missionaries. And for us as a church, we also have some, some values that they, they don't so much, they're not just the things that we do, they really are the kinds of things that we want to shape us and shape how we do everything that we do. And one of those, one of those values for us is revival prayer. And I, I believe that we're supposed to pray about everything. I do. You know, the Bible says so. You know, don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. Okay? If you feel anxious about something, turn it into a prayer. I think we're supposed to pray about everything. But I think one of the most important things that we need to be praying for is the expansion of the gospel uh, in our neighborhoods, in our community, and in our world. That, that where the gospel is spreading, tremendous things happen. Really, really good things happen. That, that where the gospel is expanding and where more and more people are coming to know Jesus, you know what happens to crime? It begins to go down. You know what happens to broken marriages and broken families? God begins to bring healing. And when more and more people are coming to know Jesus, you'll even see less war. That, that, that the, what our world needs today is it needs the gospel. And when we are praying revival prayer, we are praying for the expansion of the gospel in our neighborhoods, on our street, in our community, and ultimately in the world. And so for us, we really don't want to just kind of give lip service to this, but we really want this to grip us. And so right now, I'm just going to lead us in a moment of prayer. And, um, and one of the things I want you to do as I'm praying, I want you to be praying silently in your heart to God. And I want to invite you and encourage you just to say, God, God, I pray for spiritual renewal in my life. Can you pray that to yourself, to God? God, I want spiritual renewal in my life. Lord, we pray, we pray, we pray for revival in this church. We pray for revival here. We pray for it at First Christian, at Parkway, First Baptist, at Experience Church, at Liberty. We pray at Mount Calvary. We pray, God, we pray for revival in the churches of this community, our church and other churches as well. And, God, we pray for revival in churches throughout, uh, across our nation and around the world. But we pray for revival because only you, only you can bring revival. God, give us hearts that are willing to repent of anything and everything that gets in the way of real revival and renewal in our lives. Anything that gets in the way of following Jesus and giving Him first place in, 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 in everything. God, we, we, we really want to be people who confess our sins and who repent. So give us a heart that's willing, God, that's willing to, to confess and repent our sins, of our sins. And Lord, we pray for spiritual renewal in our lives. We pray for revival in our churches. And God, we pray for spiritual awakening in this community. Our community needs spiritual awakening. It, it doesn't just, you know, our, 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 our state, our, our nation, we need, um, we need spiritual awakening. That so many of the, the greatest problems we face, they're not political. They're not political. They're not all this other stuff. Really, ultimately, it's about hearts and lives yielded to Jesus. And so, God, we pray for spiritual awakening in our neighborhoods, our community, our nation. And we pray this in the name of Jesus and for your glory. Amen.
All right, guys. What I'm going to ask you to do right now, would you please uh, greet someone around you, help people around you feel welcome. Anytime I've got an ant eater on The grace of God has reached for me and pulled me from the raging sea, and I am safe on the solid ground 
The Lord is my salvation. I will not fear when darkness falls. His strength will help me scale these walls. I'll see the dawn of the rising sun. The Lord is my salvation. Who is like Him? Who is like the Lord, our God, strong to save, faithful in love, my daddy's pain. And the victory won. The Lord is my salvation. Oh, my hope is hidden in the Lord. Flowers each promise of his word. When winter fades, I know spring will come. The Lord is my salvation. Who is like the Lord our God? Strong to save. In love, and my debt is paid, and the victory won. Yes, the Lord is our salvation. Two, three. Glory be to God. The Father, glory be to God, the Son, glory be to God, the Spirit, the Lord is my salvation, glory be, glory be to God, the Father. Glory be to God, the Son. Glory be to God, the Spirit. The Lord is my salvation. And who is like? Who is like the Once again, who is like? Who is like the Lord our God? Strong to save faith. 
again. The Lord is my salvation. The Lord is my salvation. Let's take a moment to pray, church. Father, we thank you so very much for saving us. We thank you for providing a Savior, for providing a way to spend all of eternity with you, for providing a way to invite others to follow you as well, as Gary said earlier. What an honor and a privilege it is to partner with you in the adventure of building your kingdom here. We thank you so much for that privilege. In Christ's name we pray, amen. You can have a seat. I'd like to invite my friend Eric Claussen to the stage to share with us from the book of Exodus. Will you welcome Eric, please? We're going to be reading Exodus chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. You can follow along on that. These are the names of the sons of Israel who went to Egypt with Jacob, each with his family, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. The descendants of Jacob numbered 70 in all. Joseph was already in Egypt. Now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died, but the Israelites were fruitful and multiplied greatly and became exceedingly numerous, so that the land was filled with them. Then a new king, who did not know about Joseph, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become much too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous, and if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor, and they built Patham and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked with and worked them ruthlessly. They made them they made their lives bitter with hard labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their hard labor, the Egyptians used them ruthlessly. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that uh, you did uh, provide a path for the Israelites out of Egypt. I thank you also that you uh, provide a path uh, for us out of the slavery of sin through the work of your Son, Jesus Christ. I I pray that... uh, uh, you be with Gary as he uh, prepares uh, the message. I pray that we have ears to hear, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Sorry. 
All right. Good morning. Thank you, Eric. I really appreciate you reading the scriptures, um, praying for us. Um, you know, it, it's very, very interesting when you open up in the book of Exodus. It is the first. Uh, it's the first place in recorded history of ethnic cleansing and genocide. Uh, that the Israelites were cruelly, cruelly, cruelly oppressed. It was horrendous what they went through. And for 400 years, for 400 years, imagine your whole life with never a day off. Imagine your whole life with never having a vacation. Imagine your life with never an afternoon or a morning off or an evening free. They worked as slaves uh, as a nation for 400 years. And yet in the middle of all that, they became even more numerous and God blessed them. And, and so the, the Egyptians, they began to systematically kill all the Hebrew boys that were born. And when we're introduced to the book of Exodus, it is a very, very dark time in the nation of Israel. Uh, we're going to talk about more of that uh, Later this morning, we're going to talk about more of that in weeks ahead. Uh, before we jump too much into Exodus, I want to just kind of share with you a few things if I can. And uh, today is going to be maybe a little less like a sermon, maybe a little bit more like a lecture. But hopefully it's an interesting one, okay? If it's not, just forgive me. I'll try better next week, okay? But, but today what I want to do, and this may sound strange, but I want to talk with you about brisket. Batman, David and Goliath, and then Exodus, okay? This may sound weird. It may sound strange, but there's a reason why I want to talk with you about brisket, Batman, David and Goliath. David and Goliath, that story, that, that comes about 400 years after the book of Exodus, okay? Just so you know. But I actually think that there's something that happens in that story of David and Goliath that, that it's, it's very interesting is you see it first in the book of Exodus, but you may not even know you've read it, okay? And there's just some interesting stuff here. Um, I want to begin with with talking with you a little bit about brisket, and let me tell you why brisket is related to the book of Exodus, and this may be hard to imagine. Anybody ever eat brisket? You know what brisket is? You know, every once in a while someone says, well, yeah, it's like tri-tip, right? No, no. Brisket is entirely different from tri-tip. Okay, tri-tip comes from the pectoral muscle of, of beef, uh, uh, the tri-tip actually is cut from the sirloin region that's back uh, uh, on the left side of, or the right side, either, either side, uh, because they have both sides um, of, of beef, okay? It's a different section, and typically a tri-tip is going to weigh anywhere from a pound and a half to three pounds. Anybody ever, you think you could eat a whole tri-tip? I mean, that'd be a little bit of a challenge, okay? It'd take me a couple of days, all right? Brisket comes from a different part of the beef, and it is about, a small brisket is about 10 pounds. Small br- brisket. A large brisket would be about 20 pounds. Now, when, when uh, my mother-in-law, uh, any of y'all who got to meet Sylvia last week or you've met her before, wonderful, wonderful lady. She really loves people. She loves feeding people. She really loves feeding people, okay? She makes awesome cinnamon rolls. She makes awesome dinner rolls. She makes the best brisket I've ever eaten. Now, brisket has to be prepared the right way. It really does. It has to be prepared the right way. And the way she does it is she always marinates it with teriyaki sauce. But then what she'll do is she'll slow cook it all night long. And it's, you know, if brisket isn't prepared correctly, it tends to be, be tough. 
But when she cooks it, it's like you can eat it with a fork. You don't need a knife. It's just, it, it is so tender and it is so good. So several years ago, we found out that I have something called celiac and that I needed a gluten-free diet. And in the early stages of this diet, I was, we were very, very careful about me eating anything with gluten in it. Well, teriyaki sauce has a little bit of, of soy, soy sauce in it. And in there, there is some wheat and there is uh, a little bit of gluten. So at that time, I wasn't eating anything with gluten in it. And so every year, whenever we would go back home and we would spend time together as a family, and back then, today we're about 35, but back then we were about 25 people. And so you'd have 25 people living in one house, which was crazy. It was totally insane. And she would always cook us a brisket that we would all share. Now, 25 people eating 20 pounds of meat, it takes a couple of meals, but you can eat it. And, you know, it's, it, it feeds you well. Well, she wanted to make sure that I had a gluten-free brisket. So she cooked two briskets, one for 25 people and one for me. This is not a joke. This is not a joke. And I remember in it's, <laughs> I love I love my mother-in-law, but it's like if she were, it's her way of showing love. It is. It's her way of showing love. And so if if you're not eating, she's like, what? Don't you love me? And it's kind of like that. So it's like I'm eating this brisket, but not very much is gone. I mean, it's it's a, I'm eating a lot. I am eating a lot. But when you look at it, not very much is gone. And I remember she came to me, and she says, if you don't eat this, it's going to go bad. And I'm like, that's 20 pounds of meat. <laughs> and this is what I said. I said to her, I'm eating as fast as I can. And she looked at me, and then she just laughed. And, and for me, uh, when I started looking at and thinking about doing a series based upon Exodus, or even just reading, studying the book of Exodus, it feels like trying to eat a 20-pound brisket all by yourself. It's a little bit intimidating. And so, uh, so that's a little bit the way uh, the, the book of Exodus is. So what we're going to do is we're going to divide it into some smaller chunks, okay? We're going to divide it into three different parts, and we're going to do a series on one part of Exodus. Then we'll take a little break. We'll go to the New Testament. Then we're going to come back, and we're going to do a second part of Exodus. So we'll, we'll do chapters 1 through 15, uh, verse 21. Then we'll come back, and we'll do 15, 22 to chapter 24. And then we'll come back, and we'll do chapters 25 through 40. And we're going to interspace in it a couple of series uh, from the New Testament. And, and the purpose of this is that way you don't feel like, are we ever going to get through with Exodus? And that way I don't feel like I'm never going to. And, and it's trying to take it a chunk at a time, okay? So that's what we're doing. So here's the, this is part of what you need to understand whenever you read the book of Exodus. Understand that Exodus is what we call narrative, okay? It's Old Testament narrative. And narrative is a story. And in this story, there are stories within the story, but it's one great big story. And stories, in order to really, um, you know, stories are so much a part of our life. Uh, you, you don't even think about it. You, you probably don't think about it. But typically, when you're turning on like a TV, unless you're watching sports on TV, or you're watching maybe some kind of music special, a lot of what we watch, or you're watching reality TV, 
or uh, which is unreality TV, uh, are, are you're typically watching a narrative. You're watching a, a TV show. You're watching a movie. And in every good uh, in every good story, there are several elements that you'll see. Now, usually when we're watching for entertainment, usually the story is a fictional story. But sometimes it can be built on historical na- narrative. So, for example, uh, anybody read the book uh, Band of Brothers or see the the HBO series Band of Brothers? Great series, great series, great book, excellent book, really well written. Uh, the series very very well produced. It's it's really good. It's I mean it it it, it traces uh, the 101st Airborne during World War II uh, after the D-Day invasion uh, through uh, while they were in uh, fighting in in Europe and it is uh, it is very gripping. It is very very violent. Uh, but it's about World War II. I mean how's it not violent? Okay. So but it is a a great story. So in in but. A lot of our stories, a lot of our narratives to date that we watch for entertainment typically are fictional, okay? So anytime, but whether it's fictional or whether it's historical, whenever you watch a good story, what makes a good story a good story is, first of all, you have compelling characters, okay? You have compelling characters. Uh, Secondly, you have a spellbinding plot or struggle, or maybe you have a boring one. Uh, in which case, why do you watch it, okay? But you have this spellbinding plot or struggle. You have an evocative setting, you know. Uh, one of the reasons why uh, a lot of us like to watch James Bond movies is because the settings that they're in, or maybe some other movie, you know. Uh, but they have an evocative setting. They have a powerful resolution. They have a resolution, oftentimes, you don't really expect but in the, the, in, in the context of the story, it makes perfect sense. And then finally, finally, most of our fictional narratives almost never have a point. Okay? The, the point is entertainment, and that's it. Okay? But really, the best stories, the best stories always have a point to take to heart. And, and, and I believe that we see this a lot in Old Testament narrative, is that these are not just stories for entertainment value. These are stories for changing our lives. So let's talk a little bit about, uh, I want to talk to you about, I want to kind of look at this a little bit more, and then I want to bring it into the Scriptures and how we see it in the Scriptures. So, so I'll give you an example. Okay, Batman. We're, there is a fascination with Batman in our culture. Is there not? I mean, think about it. There's the 1960s. Well, before that, there were the comic books. For a long time, there were the comic books. Then there was the, the series from the 1960s with Adam West, and I don't know who Robin was. And, and, uh, but there was that 60s version. Then there were, you know, and then there have been a lot of different uh, movies, not just movies, but movie series with a lot of different people as Batman. Now, for me personally, uh, I've watched quite a few of these Batman series. I have. I'm pretty sure I could have beat up most of those Batman, okay? I'm just, you know, that's my feeling. I was kind of like, I mean, not now, I'm 62. But when I was younger, I was watching, I was, I was thinking, uh, I don't know. I, I, I'm pretty sure, I don't know. I, I felt like I could take Michael Keaton, okay? You know, just I felt like I could take Michael Keaton. I did. I, I was convinced I could. I mean, I just, I believe that, you know. It's like, you know, George Clooney, are you kidding? He's good looking, and that's it. I mean, I'm pretty sure I could beat him up in a real fight. Val Kilmer, I'm sorry. He's going down. Christian Bell. Christian Bell, the most impressive Batman ever. He's the first Batman that was really Batman, okay? Christian Bell actually is in real life Batman, just in case y'all didn't know, okay? So, 
But in every good story, you have different kinds of characters. And, and the first kind of character you have is a hero. You have a hero. You see this in Old Testament narrative. You see it in modern-day uh, fictional-type movie stories. But you have a hero. Unless you're in a college lit class and it's no longer a hero, it's a protagonist, okay? Protagonist, not a hero, okay? Okay, so you have a hero. The other kind of character you have that makes a story a good story is you have a villain, right? You have a villain. You have Catwoman. You have the Riddler. You have the Penguin. You have the Joker. Interesting, they all have the first same first name, the. Um, so you got all these. You, you've got to have a good villain. You got to have a good villain, and then uh, and then you also have these other people, people in peril, people who need rescue. Chuck, I don't know about you. I'd be offended by a lot of these movies because it's always the police that need to be rescued. Like they can't take on criminals by themselves, okay? So I'm, I'm looking, I'm thinking, okay, the, you know, in this case, the, the police, the commissioner, the, the good people of Gotham City, they are people in peril. They are people who need to be rescued. Or, again, if you're in a college lit cast, you've got a pro- protagonist, you've got the antagonist, and then you've got the agonist, okay? So that's kind of the way it is. Now, typically, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm just, I'm gonna give you a spoiler alert right now. The latest Batman movie, I'm gonna tell you what the storyline is. Okay, first of all, it is exceedingly violent. I do not recommend it. Okay, don't. Although the the Batman guy does a decent job of portraying Batman. Okay, uh, except that in, in there's kind of a redemptive moment in him towards the end. But, but in every Batman movie, it is the same story. It's the same way with Hallmark. It's always the same story, okay? It's always the same story. It is a villain terrorizes the good people of Gotham. Oh, no. Who would have thought? I mean, it's a surprise right from the beginning, you know? Surprise beginning to the movie. The people of Gotham are being terrorized by a villain. The police are no match for the villain. Oh, no. No, 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 not, oh, no, double, oh, no, okay? It's really bad, okay? They, they, uh, the, the, the police are no match. What are they going to do? Oh, well, Commissioner Gordon calls Batman. Oh, yes. Batman comes to the rescue. Yay. But then something goes sideways. It's the way it is in every movie. In a, a love story, the two, you know, on Hallmark, the two fall in love, and then something goes sideways, Right? Yeah, something always goes sideways. Something always goes south. Something always goes bad. And then finally, Batman finds a way to win the day. Yay, yay, yay. Right? It's every Batman. So you don't need to watch the newest Batman movie. I just, I'm sorry, I gave you the end of the movie. Okay? Actually, it was more like a, really? So, okay. So, what does this look like in the Old Testament? Because what we're here for is not to talk about Batman. That's not what we're here. We're not even here to talk about brisket, although I'm hungry. But what we're here for is we're ta- here to talk about the Scriptures. So let me give you an example. And this is, uh, oh, I hate doing it like this. First Samuel 17. The story, not of Batman, and the Joker, the story of David and Goliath is an incredibly powerful, beautifully written story that is 
fully true. And not only is it fully true, when you read it, when you reflect on it, when you meditate on it, it begins to shape you in a really good way that a modern-day movie just simply can't. Okay? It just can't. So the way I'm going to tell it is going to be a little bit stilted quick and fast because I'm using it as a point of illustration. And I, I know that you're supposed to preach Scripture and then illustrate it. In this case, I'm actually using Scripture as an illustration. But my point is in doing all of this, see, for me today, what I want for you, is this is the difference between eating a fish and learning to fish. I'm not saying you can't fish for yourself. I'm not saying you can't read Old Testament narrative and get value out of it. Well, what I am saying is I've been studying the Scriptures for 46 years. And I am a student of Scripture, but I'm also a student of method. I am a student of Scripture, but I'm also a student of method. And the better I get at method, guess what happens? The better I get at really being able to mine the Scriptures. If my backyard was filled with gold, I tell you what, every part of my backyard would be dug up today. But if I could triple my production by learning a better method, believe me, I would be working on not just the, the taking the gold out, but getting better at how I take gold out. And, and what I'm telling you is in this book, there is gold. There is gold. There, there, is, there are treasures that far exceed anything that we could want in this world. But you've got to dig for it. And as you dig for it, learning how to dig better is, I'm just going to say, it's, it's been good for me. I appreciate all the study of Scripture I did before I went to Dallas Seminary. I appreciate all the study I did before. I mind, I got a lot of gold from this book for many years before I went to grad school. But when I went to Dallas Seminary, I learned so much more. I did. And since seminary, I have been digging into the Scriptures. And, every, and, and all I can tell you is, is every year, every year, I, every day, every week, I love what I'm learning. I don't just love what I've learned. I love what I'm learning. I feel like I'm getting richer through my study. And you know what? I am still a student of method today. I'm still a student of method. This book right here is called How to Read the Bible for All That It's Worth by Gordon Fee and Douglas Stewart. Right now I'm reading this with a young man. He's 21 years old. Uh, I'd met him in a, a Lowe's parking lot, and he asked me if I would mentor him. So we've been reading. We've read a book, and now we're reading this book together. This is what he did. He read two chapters on how to read the epistles, the letters of the New Testament. He read two, two of those chapters with me. We read it together, and this is what he did. He went home, spent about six hours, and, and he... he uh, and, and we met on one Monday. We got together again a week later, and he had written out a five-page uh, argument, double-spaced. It was double-spaced, but still, a five-page argument outlining the entire book of Galatians. He's 21 years old. He's 21 years old. He doesn't have a degree, college degree. He's a college student. Young guy. And when I read it, I thought, he gets it. He really gets it. He actually understands how to read, and he knows now how not just to be taught the Scriptures, but how to learn the Scriptures for himself. And by the way, guess what happened? That week, 
He had two different opportunities to teach other people what he had learned from a study of Galatians, including the young adults ministry over at Parkway. Now, to me, that's awesome. That is awesome. And I'm telling you, people, sometimes people say, well, I could never do that. I could never do that. And one of the worst things you can tell yourself is, I can't. I can't. I learned this from, from Dan Mikola. Dan says, with his kids, who, when he's teaching them math, a lot of times the kids say, well, I can't do math. And Dan says this, no. No, don't say that. Say, I can't do it yet. But I guarantee you, every one of us can get better. Every one of us can get better. So let's look at an Old Testament narrative and let's talk about how to get better here if we can. So first of all, this is this is First Samuel 17. I apologize. This is taking a beautiful, wonderful story and, and kind of running through it quick. But this is the story. You're probably fairly familiar with it. That's why I'm using the story as an illustration. The Philistines were terrorizing the people of Israel. Oh, Kind of sounds like the villains in Batman terrorizing Gotham, the good people of Gotham. In this case, it's the good people of Israel. The Philistines were terrorizing Israel. Saul, who was then king, but recently rejected by God because of his disobedience to God as king. Saul and the armies of Israel were afraid to engage Goliath. Quickly. Pause. Time out. The purpose of a king was to be the champion of the people in combat. The only problem is the champion of the Philistines was about nine foot nine inches tall. In modern history, the tallest man on record that we have in modern history was eight foot eleven inches tall. Goliath was taller than that by about ten inches. He was a massive man. The armor that he wore was just extraordinary. Uh, I mean, it's like he was built like a tank. You would have to be exceptionally strong to wear what he wore when he went into combat. And every day for 40 days, morning and evening, Goliath would come out to the people, the armies of Israel who were gathered across from them, and he would say, send out a champion. Send out a champion, and if your champion can defeat me, we will serve you. But if I defeat your champion, you will serve us. What does Saul do? What do the armies of Israel do? They're shaking in their boots. David shows up, discovers Goliath is taunting the armies of Israel. And volunteers to be Israel's champion. He's just a boy. The Old Testament scripture says he was a youth. Uh, David shows up, discovers Goliath, tiny the armies of Israel, volunteers to be Israel's champion. Saw the others object, saying that David is no match for the Philistine. Why? David, you are a boy, and this, this champion of the Philistines has been a warrior since he was a boy. This is like, I don't know, I mean, it's like, um, you know, we're talking about the Super Bowl champs playing, okay, not trying to be mean to Army O High School, but playing Army O High School. Gee, I wonder who's going to win. And that's what this is. And, and 
Saul and you know those with him, they're objecting. Uh, but David tells Saul, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me. Interesting words. Deliver me. By the way, the one who delivered me from the paw of the lion, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion, the paw of the bear will deliver me from the giant. He will deliver me. Who's the protagonist? Who's the hero? It's not David. This is why a lot of times we don't understand what's happening in an Old Testament text, and we begin to identify the person in the text as being the hero, and he's not the hero. He's the one who's being delivered. He's being delivered from Goliath. It's verse 37 of First Samuel 17, unless you're looking for the verse. David tells Saul, The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion, the paw of the bear, will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. When Saul and the others see David's determination, they try to get him to wear Saul's armor. Now, back then, very few Israelites had, they even had a sword because they didn't have any blacksmiths to make it. The only people who had armor at this time in Israel's history were, were Saul and his son, uh, Jonathan. The others just kind of wore whatever you wear. Uh, they, they fought not so much with, with swords and spears. It, see, the, the part of the reason why the Philistines were so intimidating for Israel is because they had a monopoly on uh, the production of, of bronze and stuff like that. So it's like, you know, they're like, they have the best weaponry. Israel has very, much, has very, very little. So Saul, the others, they try to get him to wear Saul's armor. He tries it on. He's like, I can't, I can't go into battle like this. I'm not used to this stuff. It's just, it, it's impeding me. I, I can't, in any, in so what does he do? is he takes his staff and five smooth stones to face the Philistine champion. I I don't agree with Malcolm Gladwell's description of the story of David and Goliath. Uh, If you're not familiar with it, don't get sidetracked. But I, I believe he's missing the point. The point is the Philistines are very, very well equipped. David's equipped with sticks and stones. Staff and five smooth stones. The Bible says that David runs to the battle line. He runs to the battle line. The Philistine, the Philistine is filled with rage. He is filled with with, um, just scorn and disrespect. Am I a dog? Am I a dog that you come at me with with a stick and some some stones? And he says to, to David, Bring it on, little man. Come, bring it on. And today I will feed your flesh to the birds of the air and the wild animals. David hurls one stone. One stone. According to the scriptures, it goes through his forehead. Deep impact. Make scrambled eggs of his brain. Okay, it doesn't say that in the Hebrew. 
but it does say it, 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 this is not a little, it, it doesn't just kind of bounce off his head. I don't know if any of y'all have ever been hit in the, the head with a rock before, but when I was a kid, I got hit by a really big rock. I'm very accident prone, just in case y'all didn't know, okay? This stuff has been uh, happening to me since I was a little kid. But, but I got hit with a big rock, and it just left a big goose bump on my head. And, but with Goliath, it goes into his forehead. He falls to the ground. David takes the sword. Listen, folks, I think sometimes when we read the Bible, we clean it up a little bit too much. We, we, we don't see the mess, and this is a mess. I mean, this is, this is gore, okay? It really is. He chops his head off, okay? I, I think sometimes we use Bible, you know, we use little Sunday school pictures that are kids safe and stuff like that. And we don't really, if we're not careful, our kids are like, they're not even grasping the reality of what's happening here. And sometimes we carry it with us into adulthood. This is a gruesome scene. This is a gruesome scene. And then, um, I'm sorry, I went way ahead of where I was supposed to go to. Goliath says to David, he says this, he says, you know, uh, am I a dog that you come against me with sticks? Come and I will feed your flesh to the birds uh, and the wild animals. But this is what I want you to see, because this is the point. This is what you're supposed to read, and you're supposed to be, ah, I get it. 1 Samuel 17. Verse 45, David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword, spear, and javelin. You have the most sophisticated weaponry of our world today. That's what he's saying. You come to me against me with sword, spear, and javelin. The, the whole point is you have the best weaponry. You have the competitive edge according to this world. You're supposed to see this. You're supposed to understand this as you have everything that this world says you're supposed to have. But I come uh, against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. See, it's not all the stuff of this world that fits David for battle or Goliath for battle. The God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied you haven't just scorned me. You have defied the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand. Look at this line. This is awesome. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. This is what God is about. Revealing to the world there was a God. It says here, David says, All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's. The battle is the Lord's. And He will give all into our hands. You know, it's fascinating to me I, you know, when I read through the book of Acts and I look at what the church had to work with 2,000 years ago, they didn't have buildings. They didn't. Did you know that? For the first 300 years, the, the church didn't have buildings. They didn't have 
They didn't have really elaborate, neat programs. They didn't have, like, huge outdoor events. They didn't do Day on the Green. They didn't do, uh, they didn't do Week of Hope. They didn't do all these things. But you know what they had? They had the Holy Spirit. And they prayed. And they had relationships and connections with people around them. They had Jesus. And the nine Christians of the world said, they're turning the world upside down. Actually, they were turning it right side up. And sometimes we get so reliant on all these things that we have, if we're not careful, we fail to see that the battle is the Lord's. See, that's what we're supposed to look at and we're supposed to see. We're feeling anxious in life about so many different things. The battle is the Lord's. That is the point. The antagonist clearly is Goliath and the armies of the, the Philistines. The protagonist, the antagonist, uh, the, the Goliath and the armies of Philistia. The protagonist is God himself. And the agonist are the people who need rescue are David and the people of Israel. One of the things that, in, 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 you know, these guys do it really well, is they say when you read Old Testament narrative, always remember that the Lord is a hero. It's not Moses. It's not David. It's not any other person. The, the interesting thing about the hero stories of the Bible is that ultimately God is the hero. That's the whole point. Okay. Um, how to read um, how to read Old Testament narrative. I'm, I'm just going to give you a few things and wind it up here, okay? Uh, how do you read it? First of all, read the whole book in one or two readings. Now, some of you are saying, are you kidding me? Read all of Exodus in one or two readings? I did it this week three times, okay? And you'll say, well, yeah, but you're paid to do that. You're right, I am. And I have time to do it. By the way, you do too. You do too. You have time to read the entire book of Exodus in a single sitting or two sittings. You do. You do. The question is, are you going to watch golf this afternoon or are you going to read the Bible? Okay? But I guarantee you, you have time. You know how long it takes to read the entire book of Exodus if you read at a very, if you read at a conversational pace, which is slower than what I'm speaking. I speak much faster than 150 words a minute. Average conversational speech is 150 words a minute. If you read the Bible, at a conversational pace, you can read the, the, excuse me, read the book of Exodus at a conversational space, pace. You can read the entire book of Exodus in about three hours. If you're slower, three hours and 15 minutes. If you're me, and, and, and you know, what I did was uh, I have a, a Bible app uh, on my phone. It's called Dwell. And on here, what I can do is I can play. Uh, I can actually listen to the scriptures while I'm reading. And it has some really cool music in the background, too. And I use that for pacing. And, but I don't read it off my app. I usually read it out of my regular Bible. But, but just reading through it, and, um, and so, uh, so re- actually reading, because this is what happens. As you read the entire book, you see what you don't see when you read a chapter a day. Because when you read a chapter a day, it takes you 40 days to get through the whole thing. And what happens is... You see the trees very well, but you don't see the forest. But reading as a whole is a wonderful practice. I've been doing it for years. Very, very helpful. 
Very, very helpful. And I'm not saying you need to do this every week. I'm just saying that from time to time, it's really wise to sit down. And if Exodus feels intimidating for you, that's fine. Read the book of Galatians. Six chapters as opposed to 40. Takes you maybe, I don't know, 25 minutes, maybe 30. I don't know. Maybe less than that. All right? But read the whole thing. And when you read it a couple of times, what happens is now you begin to see things you, you wouldn't ordinarily see. Now, when you're reading Old Testament narrative, you're looking for things like key people, key places. Uh, remember stories are made up of characters, plots, settings, scenes, um, and, and, um, and, and they're these different people. So you're paying attention to the people. You're paying attention to the places. Uh, third, pay attention to the plot and major themes. Okay? Remember, it's a story, and stories have plots. Okay? But the Bible is a story with a point. Okay? But read through it. And then find the natural breaking points or pauses between the scenes. That's the reason I want to do three different series on the book of Exodus. Okay? Because I see basically three major parts. So, Exodus in three parts. I already talked about this. Part one is the cruel oppression of God's people and his redemption of his people. Exodus chapter 1 through basically chapter 15, verse 21. Okay? That's the first part. Second part is the journey to Sinai, which is also called Horeb, which is also called the mountain of God. Okay? So oftentimes places did not have one name. They will have more than one name. So um, so uh, just to be aware of that. But the, the journey to Sinai and uh, God's covenant with his people. That's the Ten Commandments and then all the laws that are basically... Uh, kind of an explanation or exposition of those laws, those Ten Commandments. And then finally, fourth, uh, find the natural breaking points or pauses between scenes. Now, this is what I want you to understand. Chapter divisions are horrible. Okay? They're horrible in the Bible. A lot of times, times people will read a chapter and think they understand the story. The only problem is the story continues into the next chapter. St- chapter divisions are not a part of Scripture. These are artificial. They were made by a man. And he was riding on a donkey, and every time his donkey hiccuped, he would put a new chapter division. That's what happened. But but when you read through the book of, of Exodus, they put these chapter divisions in really, really bad places. That's why reading in chunks is really helpful. Is you begin to see... Oh, that's why when I read this chapter, I'm not getting the point. It's because the point comes in the, in the next chapter. And, and this is what happens uh, when, you, when you're reading that chapter by chapter instead of story by story. Okay? But um, where am I at? Okay, so we talked about the three parts. Okay, major, major themes. Okay, so last night I just sat down and I thought, well, what are the major themes that have come out of my reading? Actually, I say last night. This isn't true. I did this earlier in the week. But then last night at 1230, I'm like, oh, there are two things I didn't write down, and they're really important. So I got up at 1230 at night, and I continue writing, okay? So um, here, these are five themes that, to me, really stand out in the book of Exodus. Number one, God's redemption of his people. He brings them out of Egypt, okay? God's redemption of his people. God's covenant with his people. The Ten Commandments and all those other commandments with that. Uh, third, the tabernacle and God's presence with his people. By the way, tabernacle, also called tent of meeting. Uh, so don't let that throw you, okay? But it's the same thing, the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, okay? So, um, uh, but God's tabernacle, which represents the presence of God with his people, 
So that's a major theme. Uh, God's blessing of his people. Fascinating, crazy. The people are being persecuted. They are being, they're slaves. They're being mistreated. And guess what happens? A family of 70 people becomes a nation of 2 million. They continue to grow even when they're persecuted. It's amazing. Kind of like the early Christians. Early Christians were persecuted, and yet the numbers of, of Christians increased more and more. By the way, by the way, you will see the themes of, of Exodus over and over and over again through the rest of Scripture if you'll take time to really read and understand the book of Exodus. It's amazing. So uh, let me give you an example here. Okay, major themes. Let me finish that, okay? God's blessing of his people, God's sovereignty and redemption and judge, judgment, God's grace and mercy, and then God's holy wrath. You do see a lot of wrath in Exodus, but you also see a lot of grace and mercy as well for his people. Um, very fascinating. The book of Exodus, it's so fascinating. The, when you get to, well, here, I'll, I'll, I'll show you this, okay? Key verses, key verses in the book of Exodus. I'm looking here in the first 15 chapters, okay? Key verses, and there's more than these, okay? But these are the ones that I love. Verses 13 and 14 of chapter 14, Exodus 14, 13 and 14. It says, Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Oh, what was happening in 1 Samuel 17? What was happening in 1 Samuel 17? Saul and the armies of Israel. What was happening? Oh, they were afraid. Do not be afraid. Oh, that's interesting. That was written 400 years later. First. 1 Samuel 17 is written 400 years later than this. Those events happened 400 years later than this. Do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. What did David say? What did David say? The battle is the Lord's. Oh, wow. Isn't that fascinating? Do you think God's trying to get us to get something? See, if you read the Bible, we want to be shaped by the, the, the Bible. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. It's not about all your sophisticated weaponry. It's about God. It's all about God. He is the one who delivers. And I love this verse. A few verses later, verse 18 the Egyptians will know. This is what's going to happen out of all of this. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. Does that sound familiar? What did David say about the Philistines? Then, you, then the nations will know that there is a God in Israel. Folks, this is the point of Scripture. This is what God wants to shape the way we think, our affections, our attitudes, everything in our lives. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Okay, a couple of tools. A couple of tools. All right, obviously your Bible. I don't study other books. I read them, but I don't study them. This is the book I study. I read it a lot. Okay? I read it a lot. Study this. But I use other things that really help me. If you have nothing else, this one tool is fantastic. It's called the ESV Study Bible. 
Now, there are study Bibles that come in the ESV. It's not the same thing. This is the ESV study Bible. It's different. The actual guys who did all the work of translation of the Scriptures actually write every one of the notes, every one of the introductions. If you only have one piece, one tool to help you, this will help you mine more gold than you can do by yourself. Okay? This will help you mine more gold. Okay? Um, this, uh, if you just want to learn how to read different parts of the Bible better, this book, How to Read the Bible for All That It's Worth, I was telling you about this young man, James. If you want to be trained in this, you want to go through this with me, I take time, time to meet with James. I'll take time to meet with you. I'll just ask you to do the work. That's all I'm going to ask you to do. Okay? But uh, really, we'll train you in how to better read. It's not the kind of book you just read straight through, but it's, by, it's a book that you read chapter by chapter according to whatever you're reading in the Bible, and it helps you. Okay? How to read the Bible uh, book by book. This has an introduction to every book of the Bible. The introduction on the book of Exodus is excellent in this book. It's called How to Read the Bible, book by book, written by the same guys. Okay. This is for the ultra Bible nerd. For the ultra, ultra Bible nerd. Okay. I'm, there's probably maybe one other ultra Bible nerd besides me. I'm a Bible nerd. I am. You can listen to a lot of different sermons by a lot of different people on Exodus. If if they preach and their preaching is good, well, sometimes they're just clever storytellers and they may or may not be getting the actual point of Scripture. Okay? They just tell good stories. And sometimes people say, well, that's a great sermon because he talked about Batman and he talked about brisket. Okay? That's not what makes a sermon great. What makes a sermon great, is it true to Scripture? Is it clear? Can I see how it shapes my life today? That's what makes a message great. This little commentary, I say little because, you know, it's, I don't know, it's, it's a little over 300 pages. I mean, you can buy them. They're like 1,200 pages or longer, okay? And, uh, but this commentary on the book of Exodus by Alec Motier, Motier is a real scholar. He is a real theologian. He is very good at what he does. Uh, but he makes everything he writes accessible enough that a kid from Arkansas can read it and understand it, all right? Uh, it's like, you know, it's like maybe college-level reading, but I, I, I don't think it's too much probably for anybody in our church. But if you're one of those people who really wants to go to another level in your reading, your study of Exodus as we're going through it, if there's one person like that, this would be the one commentary I would suggest you read on the, the, the book of Exodus. Uh, it's pretty good. All right. Uh, in the words of P.C. Walker, uh, that's all I got. Uh, next week, we're going to be looking at Exodus chapters 1 and 2. We'll be more into the scripture, less on, on method. But I did want to talk to you a little bit about being a student of method. And then ultimately, I didn't say this. We need to be a student of scripture. We need to be a student of method. But ultimately, we need to let the scripture study us. And I apologize. I've gone long. Uh, I'm going to pray, and uh, I'm, the worship team can come on back up. God, you are great. You are awesome. You are good. Uh, We worship you. We give you thanks. Uh, God, we don't want to just study your word. We want to be changed by your word. We want to be shaped by your word. Thank you so much for your work of redemption. Thank you, God, for how you redeemed the nation of Israel out of Egypt. Thank you for how you have redeemed us out of sin. 
And uh, I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, before we close our, with our last song, I just want to go over some announcements. Um, here at SVC, we believe that one of the measures of a disciple of Jesus is that we're growing in our love for God and for others. It's vital to have a consistent interaction and connection with one another. And to do this, you can do it by joining a small group or jumping into an area of service. We have a list of groups currently meeting and opportunities for service on our SVC app that you can get on the App Store or Google Play. And you can also connect, as Gary was saying, you can connect with himself or with Matt over coffee sometime. Um, They'd love to meet with you. Also, we invite you to stick around after the service today and then enjoy some refreshments and coffee and just meet with one another, a little extended from our greeting time. And we thrive when we stay connected to one another. So we just encourage you to make that a priority in your life. Um, on, sad, on Sunday, not Saturday, sorry, Sunday, March 27th, it's one week from today, we will host our annual business meeting after our service. And we will take time to vote on our budget and elder team and also reflect on God's faithfulness to us and our church over this past year. Please carve out some time to join us for this special time together. Can you believe it? In one month, it's going to be Easter. So we are looking forward to Good Friday and Easter Sunday taking place the weekend of April 15th through 17th. On Good Friday, we will gather here at 6 p.m. and take some time to worship God and reflect on the enormous sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross on behalf of you and me. Then on Easter Sunday, we'll gather at our normal time at 10 a.m. to celebrate the resurrection of our Savior. For Easter Sunday, we have two action points for you. First, we encourage you to invite a family member, friend, neighbor, coworker to join you for our 10 a.m. service. You can use uh, handy invite cards. They're on the back table there when you first came in. And um, I didn't grab one, sorry. Jen had a nice prop. I do not. Gary, can you show us the... Turn around. Gary's got... This is what they look like. They're really cool, small things. You can hand them out. Um, Secondly, we encourage you to invite that same person that... Um, not only to church, but also to share a meal with you for over for lunch that day or maybe another day that works for them. The dining room table or kitchen table just has a way of breaking down those barriers and building bridges of friendship and trust. So we invite you to begin thinking and praying about this person or family that you would like to invite, invite that weekend. And then we want to um, close out our service by also worshiping Christ with our God with our giving. So there are five different ways that we can give. The first, you can visit our website at www.salonavalley.org forward slash giving, or you can tap the give button on the SVC app. You can also send a check to 1307 Oliver Road in Fairfield, California, 94534. You can text the word G-I-V-E to 707-883-3019. Or if you are here in person today, we have a silver um, mail slot at the back. You can put your offering in through there. Thank you again so much for your kindness and your generosity. And I'm going to turn it over to you. All right. Thank you so much, Elsa. Let's stand together one last time, church.
There's a reason I can see. There's a reason for this life inside me. One name above all names. Jesus. Yes, it's Jesus. Reason for our hope. Sing it out. There's a reason for this hope. There's a reason for this peace that I know. One worthy of all praise. Jesus. Yes, it's Jesus. I will lift my hands up. I will raise my voice high. I will shout of your love till the day that I die. And everything that I have, all my worship I bring. You're the reason I live. You're the reason I sing. Yes, you're the reason I live. You're the reason I sing. For the victory, for the victory over sin, for the goodness of your grace each day, I will bow and bless your name, Jesus, I thank you, Jesus, I will live, I will lift my hands up. I will raise my voice high, I will shout of your love till the day that I die. Everything that I have, all my worship I bring, you're the reason I live, you're the reason I sing. Yes, you're the reason I live, you're the reason I sing. So grateful you were here today, and thank you to everyone who tuned in as well. Have an awesome week, and we'll see you again soon.